to coach is the other C word. Join us for a deep dive into the fierce world of female athletics and the even more fierce women leading the charge. Here's your host, Shaylin Johnson. Hello to all my lovely leading ladies and the gentlemen that listen. I've got a few of those and I really appreciate you guys. You know, season one has gone a little bit differently than I expected. I thought it was going to be a little bit more of just me talking, um, but I've been really fortunate to have such amazing lady guests this week or this season. And this one is absolutely nothing short of amazing. I'm so excited to have her on. I have Dr. Brittany Azell and I could go on and on and on about the things that she's done and the things that she's accomplished, but I'm going to give her the floor. Brittany, thank you so much for joining. The listeners know the drill. You've got to give them your story. Oh, I appreciate that. I, I hope I can fit it all in in your podcast here, but uh, I'll give you a little bit of background. Uh, I appreciate the introduction. Uh, Dr. Brittany Azell, which sounds weird to say, uh, but born and raised in Franklin, Tennessee, a uh, three-sport athlete in high school. Uh, recruited for three different sports out of high school and uh, was led to the University of Alabama by a tremendous female recruiter named Dottie Kelso. Uh, played at the University of Alabama basketball for uh, four years, started all four years at point guard for Sweet 16s. Uh, also was the starting shortstop third baseman at the University of Alabama softball team uh, for Patrick Murphy and Calum Hack and uh, first SEC championship there. Uh had an opportunity to work out at uh, draft camp for the WNBA. Uh, realized really quickly after arriving in a limo that I needed to go home in a cab. It just wasn't for me. And uh, ended up going to graduate school at the University of Nebraska, working for Hall of Famer Paul Sanderford, working for Jeff Walls, head coach at the University of Louisville, working for Michelle Clark Hurd, head coach at Cincinnati. And then, uh, like we like to say at the University of Alabama, Mama called. And I went home to the University of Alabama for five years as a recruiting coordinator when I was 23. Uh, was there for five years under my uh, mentor, uh, Rick Moody. I uh, got my first head coaching job at 28 at Okaloosa Walton College in Destin, Florida. Yeah, yeah, there is basketball played in Destin. And uh, you don't make a lot of money doing it. So I, uh, I worked there. Uh, for three years, and I bartended uh, five nights a week while I was coaching basketball and uh, and teaching class. Um, so that's always fun. The kids never understood why they were on curfew during the week, but off on the weekends. But that's when I worked. So I didn't want them rolling up in my bar and ordering a daiquiri. So uh, left there, went to uh, the University of Montevallo. Uh, worked for a fantastic athletic director named Jim Herlihy uh, at the Division II level. Worked alongside some some really cool men's coaches, you know, going all the way back to O Dub. I worked for a hall of, worked with a Hall of Famer there, a guy named Bruce Stewart. Uh, worked with a guy at Montevallo, Danny Young, and these two guys really helped kind of shaped my coaching career when I stepped up to the Division One level. Uh, two years later, after Montevallo, I got the head job at Belmont University in Nashville. Uh, which was cool. Uh, was there for three years, took them to their first postseason and I don't know how long. Um, and then uh, got hired away to East Tennessee State University in Johnson City and uh, took over a program that was struggling, uh, went to two conference finals, um, played one of the toughest schedules in the country every year and uh, actually was just uh, uh, finished my eighth year and truthfully was let go there. Um, and it, it happens. 
you know, there, there's two kinds of coaches. There's coaches that have been fired and coaches that are going to get fired. And uh, I happen to be both. Um, but I uh, felt like every stop that I made, um, Che, that I made an impact. And I have walking trophies all over this country and kids that wouldn't have had opportunities had we not crossed paths. So I'm very proud of my career, very proud of all the things that I've done and the lives that have impacted. Um, and feel very, very, very blessed to have called myself coach for a very long time. You know, like I said, you are amazing. And, you know, at the end, sometimes things don't go our way. But the way that you looked at that situation is fantastic. And I love how you referenced your former players as walking trophies. That's, <laughs> I've never heard that. And I think that is absolutely so beautiful. Thank and you. you've been coaching for two decades. Mm -hmm. How have you seen the game change? I'm really fortunate to have you on because you've seen so much. Mm -hmm. Kind of let's, let the listeners know what's changed, positive and negative. Oh, wow. That's that's a great question. You know, I, I've, I've been in it since I was in college athletics since I was 18 uh, and just turned 45. Um, so, you know, really fortunate to have spent my life's work in college basketball. I mean, you get you get paid to coach a game. You really do. Um, and you're you're coaching a game that everybody in America thinks they can do your job, but not everybody in America understand what you're really doing in your job. The game is the easy part. Um, the things that have changed within the game, you know, the game has become much more analytical. Um, there's there's much more um, statistical analysis that takes place. Um, the game has really spread the floor um, in terms of, you know, your physical presence. It used to be, you know, it was a post player's game. And now if you don't have good guards, you can't play. A um, lot of threes. Everybody shoots threes or layups. That's it. There's no mid-range game anymore. That's a lost art. And if that's the cachet, I'd have never played. I, I was a mid-range kid because if I got any closer, I couldn't see the basket. And if I got any further, I'd be throwing it. So <laughs> that's that's changed when you're looking at the game itself. Um, and, and you're seeing a lot more people trying to get into the game because the money is starting to come. It's starting to be there on the coach's side. You see a lot more um, men trying to get into the game. You see a lot of former men's coaches coming over, former men's players coming over to the women's side. The game is extremely fast. The game is extremely athletic. I think the advances in um, strength, conditioning, nutrition have obviously benefited the women's game. I mean, you just look at the sheer athleticism that's on display on a regular basis and if that doesn't cause an awe in you, then there's something wrong. But I think what, what's really changed a lot is the way that girls are introduced to basketball. Um, they now have female role models. You know, when I was growing up, there was no WNBA. You had to go overseas and you never saw these women. Um, you know, the WNBA just celebrated its 24th year, I believe, 24th. Yeah, I think and I saw that. If you're looking at it, I mean, there was no Candace Parker. There, there was no Diana Taurasi or, or, you know, Sue Bird. These girls had to look up to men's players. Well, now they're saying, oh, wow, there's someone that looks like me that, you know, that's my size, that grew up like me, that can do these things. I want to do that. And with those things comes a little bit of the dark side, too. You've now got AAU coaches that are more like agents. You've got people on the take. You've got shoe companies that have now gotten involved. There's 
the social media platforms that have caused, you know, unfair hype and unfair criticism to kids. And so they're dealing with a lot of things earlier. You know, when you're 16 years old and you've got thousands of followers, there's a pressure there, you know, and, and early on in my career, you never had that. You didn't have people throwing shade at kids. You know, they had a bad game. You didn't have to worry about a kid's mental health because of the feedback that they were going to be getting. You didn't worry about that. You didn't worry about a kid that was clout chasing because they wanted something for their highlight reel. You didn't, you didn't worry about those things. So the, the game is always going to be the game. It's going to change a little bit. There's going to be some intricacies that people are going to understand better, um, you know, where to score from, who to guard, those kind of things. The hard part is working through the new generations as they come and meeting them where they are and trying to take them to where they want to be. Um, Because truthfully, the game is easy. It's that we're trying to teach kids how to live while they're learning how to play. And we're still trying to implement things in them and, and put things in them, you know, a sense of team, a sense of accountability, responsibility, dependability. Uh, and you're really having to teach them how to have some thick skin. And all this time, you're still dealing with a highly impressionable 18 to 22-year-old young woman who's still trying to figure out who she is. Who's her, what's her identity? Who does she want to be? What does she want to become? Um, I don't think the game's changed. I think the players have. And I don't mean the actual players in uniform. I think the people on the fringe, the people that are putting pressure from the outside of the bubble have changed. And that's what makes it a little bit more difficult now. That was a fantastic. You know, you brought up so many things that we talk about, you know, we, the clout chasers, right? We talk about AAU has been just this crazy business now. And it wasn't even like that when I was a kid. When I was playing AAU, it was not like that anymore. Right. Now you see highlights from 10-year-olds on Twitter. and I'm When, like, when you're yeah. ranking a kid that's a, a sixth grader, she's the number one sixth grader in the country. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, I barely knew my locker combination in sixth grade. Like how? I don't understand. I, I really don't. No, and, no. You know. And, I think the the combination with social media and all of this, and I'm, I don't know if you saw, I think it was yesterday or the day before the Supreme Court, you know, ruled in favor of those student athletes in terms of like that, that name likeliness mm-hmm. and image thing. Mm-hmm. And I know we talked about, we're not, we're, neither of us are super well versed in that, but right. kind of tell me your opinion on if this is a good thing or not to give these. Now I get it. Like the NCAA is making a lot of money off of these kids, a yeah. ton of money off of these kids. But now when we're talking about social media, we're talking about cloud chasing. My personal opinion is it kind of takes away from the game. Do I think they deserve to be compensated? Totally. Because they're making money. They're doing this themselves. But also at the same time, are we going to have kids that are going to focus so much on getting their name out there and being a walking highlight reel and doing all the things that just take away from basketball, football, whatever they're playing? Right. Well, I mean... I guess it's going to come down a lot to what kind of kid are you recruiting? Are you recruiting a kid that would rather look good and lose or look bad and win? And that's that's kind of, you know, the point that you alluded to. What's their character? Now, do I understand that sports is an escape and sports is life changing in terms of, you know, compensation and future financial advances for certain kids? Absolutely. Absolutely. But is a, a $250 endorsement from your local 
you know, your local shoe store. Is that a, is that enough? Is, is that enough for you? Like, I think it's a good thing um, in that I do believe that your name and your likeness are the only things that are truly uniquely yours. They are yours. You know, you were given that name at birth. That is yours. You hold on to that. You do whatever it is you need to do for that with that. Um, they make a lot of money for universities. Bottom line, period. And, you know, like you said, with with today's, you know, social media, when you've got a kid out there that's got a huge following, who's to say, and, and I'm sure they can do the analytics on it, but I mean, you, you see when, when schools go to the NCAA tournament, the enrollment at the university goes up. When schools are on, on television, you know, the clicks on their website and interest goes up. It's going to be the same thing. They're still going to continue to generate traffic towards that university because they're wearing that uniform. I do think that they should be fairly compensated for the work they're doing inside that uniform. Now, I, I stopped short of it uh, in terms of full salary because I don't want it to be a minor league. Um, right. I, I still think the college model is very unique and and not everybody is going to be a sought after spokesperson. They're not. Um, and you're going to create some animosity in some locker rooms. You're going to have to deal with that. You know, you've got, you would probably have a million followers. I'd probably have 12 that are in my family, you know, so there's going to be some, there's going to be some issues that people don't even realize are going to be out there. Um, and it's not just the, the money. There's going to be a lot of, um, connectivity and dynamics that are going to have to be worked through. I, I do like the idea of paying a kid, um, for what they're doing, you know, for their, for their image and likeness, I do believe it is uniquely yours. And uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Cool. Good. I, I, you know, we didn't talk about that question beforehand, but you brought up such a great point that I had to um, bring it up. And I asked this question on one of my first interviews and I'm super interested to hear your answer. Okay. I'm going to give some context to it. Right. So in terms of success for you, for your life, for your career, what's more important? People, so, you know, emotional intelligence, team building, leadership development, or is it processes? So like techniques, schemes, practice plans, scheduling, things like that. Which one is more, I guess, determinant? Like which one affects your success more? Which you one? Pick one? Do I have to pick one? I mean. If you have to pick one. Golly, those are, they're pretty intertwined, but at the end of the day. I'll put it this way, and it goes back to what I said earlier about them being my walking trophies. At the end of the day, a process isn't going to eulogize my funeral. At the end of the day, uh, I'm not going to see a process get their first job, have their first child. Uh, I'm not going to go stand beside them in the hospital room when something goes wrong with a family member. The world needs to be people focused. When you take care of people, processes are easier to implement. If you don't have the trust of people, if you don't have relationships with people, how can you possibly reach them to teach them? So my answer is, is probably going to be long-winded, but the, the short of it is that you've got to focus on your people, period, period. Nope, that's it. Um, I, and, and what's interesting about that too, Shailen, is there's so many different processes and there's 
15 different ways to get an end result that you want. And you've got to figure out what kind of learners you've got. You've got to figure out what kind of communicators you've got. Um, I probably learn differently than you do. And you've got 15 kids on a roster that all have different backgrounds, um, different beliefs. They were taught different ways. And there's no one right way to teach each kid. Um, you know, for each one, you try to reach one where they are with the skill set they have, with the, the learning processes they have, with the personality that they have. I mean, I can't I can't teach a whole bunch of type A's the same thing that I would teach a bunch of introverts. I can't. I can't expect them to lead the same way. I can't expect them to produce the same way. But what I can expect them to do is to learn how to trust people and to learn that there are good people out there that that really want more for you than they want for themselves. And that's all I've ever wanted um, as a coach was to impact a kid the way that I was impacted by the coaches in my life. And and I'll, and I can give you a story about it, and it's you know it it really is what made me decide to coach, and what really made me people focused. I was seventeen, going into my senior year of high school, and was being recruited. You know, kind of thought I was you know something. You know, on on certain days I still do, um, but I was being recruited at Alabama. Uh, by this remarkable woman named Dottie Kelso. She's 35 years old. She was from Louisville, uh, Louisville, <laughs> Lewisburg, Tennessee. And she was awesome. And we had this really cool rapport and, and we were able to talk. And uh, she was really the reason I got interested in Alabama. She came to watch me play in an AAU tournament in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And my number was 32. My mom's number was 32. That's why I was 32. That was it. Well, I'm about 5'5", five five, so I'm nosebleed height when you're talking about someone swinging an elbow, and I caught one. Caught a nice one, split my face, had to switch jerseys. Back then I had abs, so I had no problem taking the shirt off right then, just switch it over. And uh, switched over to 25. And I don't know why I did it, but I looked at the door, and that's the first time I ever saw Coach Kelso standing there in a big Alabama T-shirt. After the game, she handed a note. This was back when you could give notes to AAU coaches. And she gave a note to my coach and it said, hey, 25. And I didn't have the heart to tell her that's not my number, um, but I kept it on. And so we we just kept going with this relationship for, for a while. And it got to the end of summer, um, my senior year, and I had already scheduled my visit to go to Alabama. And I hadn't heard from Coach Kelso in a while. And this was back when they could only call you once a week. I hadn't heard from her in a while, and the head coach, Coach Moody, called me, and he said, Brittany, I, I really don't know how to tell you this, so I'm just going to say it. He said, Coach Kelso died this this weekend. She had a brain aneurysm while she was on a boat uh, with her boyfriend, and uh, she passed away. She's 35 years old. And I, I dropped to my knees, and my father came running outside and and. You know, I I don't remember saying bye. I don't remember how the conversation ended. Um, but I remember Coach Moody saying, we'll talk again later. It was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. And, uh, you know, a few days passed and I finally talked to him again. And he said, you know, I'd understand if you don't want to come. You know, I'd understand if it's too hard. And I said, no, no, no. You know, I owe it to her to come. So I went down there uh, and visited. It was homecoming weekend. Uh, got to see a Reba McIntyre concert, which was great. Got to go to Alabama football, which if you're any kind of sports fan, you know Alabama football is it. Um, 
and they they offered me uh, while I was there, and they had a jersey hanging in my locker, and uh, it was thirty two, and I don't know why, but I just I broke into tears, and I turned to Coach Moody, and I said, you know, I'm going to come. But I'm only going to come if I can wear 25. So when Coach Kelso watches, she knows which one I am. So at that point, it always dawned on me that it was about people and that she had invested in me and it was up to me to see it through. And then you fast forward through my life. Her family has followed me my entire career. My first year at ETSU, I go home to Franklin, Tennessee, and I go to TJ Maxx, which is my jam. I'll own that. All right. TJ Maxx, my jam. Okay. I love to tell people how cheap I am. So I'm in TJ Maxx with my mom and I'm walking down the aisle and this man is mirroring me down the aisles and I can see him looking kind of used to it. It's okay. I mean, you might recognize me. You might not. I get to the end of the aisle and we meet at the end. And he stops right in front of me and he says, I know you. And I smiled and said, you might. Very possible. You might. I said, how can I help you? He said, I'm Dottie Kelso's brother. He said, and you're Brittany Ezel. And I start to cry. And I said, yes, sir, I am. My mother walks up and I turn and I said, this is Dottie's brother. My mom starts to cry. We're having a big cry in TJ Maxx. And he says, you know, you were Dottie's last recruit. She talked about you all the time. He said, uh, you know, we followed your career. We've, you know, we've, we've been around. He said, I want you to make a phone call for me. I said, okay. He said, I'm gonna call my mother. And I said, oh my gosh. I said, I've, I've not seen her in years. And he said, just say that you're Dottie's last recruit and see what she says. He dials it. I take the cell phone. She says, hello. I says, Miss Kelso. I said, hey. I said, uh, this is uh, Dottie's last recruit. She said, Brittany Ezell, how are you? Now, mind you, I was 18, 17, 18 when she passed. And this family has tracked me my entire career. I was 38, 39 when this conversation happened. That I use that story to tell people that it's truly about people. And you don't realize the impact you're making on the waves that come out from individual relationships. I would have never met you if not for Chad. You'd have never been in my life if not for Chad. And if all I was worried about was the process that Chad was teaching me and not worried about my relationship with Chad, I'd have never had the honor to meet you. You just don't know in this business what is going to come from a relationship more so than a process. So, yes, people are more important, but I would probably rephrase that and say, relationships are the most important thing that you will ever have in your life. Damn a process. It's got to be about the people and the connection and the relationship. Because if something happens to you, for you, that process is not going to be there. Those people are. And, and I would say that was the most important thing. I am speechless. And extremely emotional today, so I'm surprised that I'm not crying. Crying, okay. Because holy crap, that was wow. And wow, like I literally, I don't even know <laughs> what to even say after that. Was that story is is fantastic? And the people that are listening, if you cannot feel that story, I just 
<laughs> and it doesn't make you just want to connect and impact and just really pay attention to who you're around. I mean, wow. Nice. Like I, I wholeheartedly believe like my identity as I'm, you know, young and, and being kind of shaping it to figure out who the heck I am. And it's been about people and it's been about their experience. And it's, I think we're put on this earth to make connections mm-hmm. and to impact. And that just hit me like right between the eyes. And that, uh, wow, that was a thousand times better than I even thought. You oh, know what good. I mean? Um, <laughs> wow. Like I, yeah, to kind of, I guess we could still go down this sort of, sure. you know, path about you and, and, you know, what you've done and what you've accomplished. And we talked about the people. Now I really want to talk about you in terms of your doctor, Brittany Azell. We yeah. don't see a lot of coaches that get their doctorate. Mm-hmm. So I want you to kind of talk about what that meant for you to get it and, and why you went down that path. Sure. Um, my mother um, is an educator, uh, was for years. Um, she was really the driving force behind everything that I wanted to do uh, in terms of education. Um, and getting a terminal degree was always very um, appealing to me. Um, when the opportunity presented itself to me um, in 2015 at ETSU um, to get a doctorate in global sport leadership, I jumped on it. Um, I, I guess there's no better way um, to kind of mentor and model uh, to a kids how to kids how important education is, other than to do it yourself. Um, because my philosophy had always been, if we want them to be a woman, they need to see a woman. And so if I want them to aspire to be more, to do more, then why wasn't I doing it? Why, why wasn't I seeing my education to the, the furthest degree that I could possibly get? So for three years, I would sit in study hall with the kids on the road. I would have my laptop out on the bus and doing homework after games and, you know, group chats and responses. And, you know, it, it was just a lot. Um, but it, it, it was something that, again, it goes back to kind of my name. You can't take that DR off my name now. I earned that. That's mine. So you can pay me for my name, image, and likeness on this call because you don't get many doctors on here. You just, it's something I earned that's uniquely mine. And it's something that, you know, I don't introduce myself as doctor, it's still, I still sound like a dork saying it, but it is mine. And it was something that, um, if you know a little bit of my backstory, I, I obviously am storyteller. My mom was a single mom when I was a kid um, and worked three jobs. Um, she ha- didn't have a college degree at this point. She crawled under houses for Tennessee Valley Authority as an inspector. She taught aerobics and she ran a tanning salon. And I and my brother, used to think it was awesome if we got a Domino's pizza and a, and a Mountain Dew. Like that was a big, big deal. A few years later, my mom remarries and we moved to move back to Nashville. My mother goes to school when I'm in middle school. She's decided she wants to be a teacher and uh, she goes to Middle Tennessee State University. She graduates uh, summa cum laude at middle, uh, becomes a elementary school PE teacher. Okay. She does this for a few years. One of her administrators sees something in her, asks her to be a vice principal. She does that. 
they see something in her. They want her to become a principal. So she goes to night school and summer school at TSU uh, in Nashville to get her master's so that she can become a principal. She does that. And then she runs the number one elementary school in Williamson County, which is the best school system in the state of Tennessee for years. I mean, heck, they named the gym and the, the court after her at her little elementary school. I don't even have that. I, I don't have that. She didn't play one day. She's got that. So she's now done that. She's worked her way up from three jobs to teacher, to vice principal, to principal. Then she finished her career in central office overseeing uh, as an assistant superintendent, overseeing all elementary schools in our county. And to this day, I don't when I go home, you know, I'm not Dr. Brittany Zell. I'm not, you know, former athlete. I, I am Denise Goodwin's daughter. I am Miss Goodwin's daughter because Miss Goodwin impacted when we did her retirement ceremony. It was hundreds of thousands of lives from the students to the teachers, to the parents, to all the workers in their buildings hundreds of thousands of lives, and she never coached a game, okay? So me being a doctor, to me, allowed me an opportunity to educate on a different level. And seeing the impact that she made as an educator really stuck with me. So for the last few years, alongside of coaching, I've been teaching in the business school at ETSU, um, basically an emerging leaders class. It's a leadership class teaching kids how to become the leader that they were intended to be, whether it's in their family, in their workplace, just in their life in general. So if not for seeing my mother struggle and then coming out of that struggle to choose a career path like education, there's no money there. She didn't do that for money. She did that because my mother genuinely believed in the impact of education on the lives of people that she encountered hundreds of thousands. I chose the same path and it was a way to honor my family. It was a way to continue to impact and it was a way to mentor and model to my players that education is something that no one can ever take away from you. They can take your job. Absolutely. They can take your job. They can take your car. They can take your health. You're educated. You can figure it out. And I, and I learned that firsthand. So that's why I did it. This episode is just it is. You're going to cry. So you're going to cry. I was not expecting cry. this. Holy crap. Brittany, you gonna, seriously. like You're going to cry in the car. You're going to cry. I can see it. Uh, the, second we, the second we end this recording, I'm going to sit in my studio here and I'm just going to be like, holy crap, and just cry. It's okay. It's okay. I'll give you a virtual hug. It's all good. No worries. My girl. I appreciate <laughs> you. Um, <laughs> and as the listeners know, I really hope the listeners are just like soaking this thing. It's so good. <laughs> I want to give them a takeaway, like always. Okay. Coaching in life's not always easy. So can you share a lesson, a quote, or belief that has been so instrumental in, I guess, for you in times of adversity? Um, I, I guess it, it all goes back to kind of deep down in my core. What do I believe? It is never really about me. Nothing, you know that you do as a coach is never really about you. Um, it may feel like it at times. You you have to feel sometimes like, why is this happening to me? Um, things don't really happen to you. They happen for you. And they happen, good or bad, for you to kind of help shape who you are. 
Um, so in times of adversity, you don't, try not to look at it like, why is this happening to me? You can look at it as, why is this happening for me? What do I need to learn? Where do I need to grow? And everything has to be looked at as an opportunity for growth. That's all we're doing in this life is we're growing. And if you're not and you're standing still, then you're, you're, you're dying inside. But I think that the takeaway that I've always had, and if you've ever watched an interview that I've done or um, any kind of story that I've ever told, I truly believe this, Shay, is that my one loss record is not going to be on my tombstone. There's going to be some other words on there. What, the, what are the words that I want on there? You know, loving daughter, sister, aunt, new aunt, yes, friend. congratulations. Thank you, thank you. He's perfect. Um, but your one loss record is not going to be on your tombstone. But here's what you are going to have to answer for. Whatever it is you believe at the end of your life, what's going to flow through your head is going to be the faces of the people that you love. I want you to be able to close your eyes for that last time, knowing that you impacted them and you left a legacy in them, not for them. You left an, a legacy in them that they will carry forward and be able to use your name as an inspiration, not money that you've left them, not a house that you've left them, something that you've left in them that will carry on for generations. And to me, that that means that you've done a fantastic job as a coach. What a beautiful way to close this out. I I seriously cannot thank you enough. I never know what to expect when I interview people, right? And I but I knew this one was going to be good, but I didn't know it was going to be this good. Um <laughs> you I could listen to you talk all time all day and I could listen to all your stories cuz you are a fantastic storyteller. Um yeah, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much Brittany for being on. Thank you to everyone that's listening. And you know I had to have Brittany on here because it never changes. We all know that strong women create stronger women. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you for listening. If you want to support this podcast, follow us on Twitter at CTOCW. Another way to show your support is to tell your friends and subscribe wherever you like on your favorite podcast platform. Find your advantage through self-awareness and continue growing into the badass woman leader you are destined to be. We'll catch you in the next episode.